a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. I, I like how he ran in the room thinking that you accidentally articulated baptism incorrectly. Like, wait a minute, you're mistaken. <laughs> he said to me, he said, you sound like a heretic. Right, yeah. It wasn't like, boy, they must be playing a game where they're articulating someone else's belief. It was, I think Pastor Wolfmiller is off his rocker. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little bit disturbed that you think that I would actually teach that about baptism. <laughs> and it's so, 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 so deserved to be crunched. I mean, mega crunched. <laughs> So, uh, you guys put some mega crunch on the song. That would be awesome. <laughs> keep uh, preaching the word. Pastors, keep it mediocre. Mediocre and hilarious. Disproving the myth, it only gets better from here. This is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> this is kind of an anti-evolutionary thing. It is, it is. Uh, just that our show is devolving just is. as an apologetic against any sort of evolutionary ideas right. of improvement over time. Yeah, proving the third law of, of thermodynamics, <laughs> whatever that is. All right. Yes, uh, So I, right. I'm excited. I want to get right to it. We have an iron preacher lined up for hey, today. Hey. So let me introduce man, our, oh, our first, our judge, uh, Dr. Carl Fekencher. He teaches in homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Fekencher, we appreciate you taking the time to do this. Always very much enjoy the seven. Thank you so much. And I understand that Table Talk Radio has become your claim to fame. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, you know, people ask me when I when I speak at various places. You know, can you give a little bit of a bio or something? And I first kind of you know say, well, you know, there's something in the seminary website and all that. And it's got a bunch of stuff on it. But you know, really, all you need to know. All you need to know is Table Talk Radio. You, you, you've heard Iron Preacher. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's usually yeah. – and then when I get there, that's all they ever say. They, you know, drop all the other jazz. Uh-huh. And, and for all they know, for all they know, Evan, you are my full-time job. Now, admittedly, that would be living pretty easy. Uh, but, I mean, they, you know, they forget that I actually, you know, like teach and – right and stuff like that so they they think they think that you're it man this is a full-time gig yeah i i, I think that it might, is we might discuss that you know pastor wolfman keeps adding things to his bio card just to bury table talk radio that's um, right so ah, gets, nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well challenging the iron preacher day is pastor lincoln winner he's pastor of trinity lutheran church in wheatland wyoming and he is uh Coming back for his hopefully second victory here on Iron Preacher, Pastor. I still Winter. think we need to go back and check the records, <laughs> the previous records. The, the good news, are you Brian, sure that he was? Pastor Wolf, the, the good news is all of this is so so perfectly cataloged for posterity. You know, you, you can you can go I right know. check check the archives immediately. I do Just need like to Google though. I check the maybe that's what I'll do when I'm in the sound box. <laughs> yes, there you go. You're supposed to be writing your sermon when you're in the sound box. Well, that's true. Uh, oh wait, no, no, no! I, I take that back. I'm, I'm, I'm mistaken. It's been so while since we've done this. You have to write your sermon in the first segment, and then you have to right. check check Facebook or something when you're on the soundbox. Right. But, well, let's get That's to right. the text That's because our time this. is short, and I want to give our preachers as much time to prepare as possible. the The text for today's I Am Preacher sermon is from Luke thirteen. 10 through 21, and that text is as follows. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Uh, Sorry. It says, I get this picture of a healing. It was on the wrong day he healed. Anyway. Uh, Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound 18 years, be loosened from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. 
He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. That is the text. I invite the preachers to get to work. You have just under 10 minutes to uh, get your sermons ready for the next segments. In the meantime, we have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Pastor uh, Dr. Carl Fikensher. He's a a professor of homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary. Now, I I have a question for you, Dr. Fikensher. We have been getting bombarded with material here in our area because uh, Franklin Graham is on a speaking tour, of course, the son of the great Billy Graham. And uh, he is uh, going around the country um, doing uh, his evangelism tour. And I was just, you right. know, uh, curious if, if in one of your homiletics classes, Franklin Graham came in and, and sat in, was auditing one of your one of your classes. Um, nothing to suggest he isn't a talented communicator. But what one thing would right. you want to impart to Franklin Graham for him to take with him as he preaches around the country? Well, I'd certainly want to uh, have him recognize that everything is about the cross of Christ Jesus. You know, the, 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 the passage that is so formative for me in terms of preaching and thinking about preaching is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, uh, when I was with you, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's a remarkable passage in its context because St. Paul was in Corinth uh, on his second missionary journey for a year and a half. And, you know, to say, when I was with you, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and the cross. And you say, like, like for 18 months, that's a lot of sermons. You know, that's a lot of teaching. That's, that's a lot of talking uh, to, to people uh, over time. And it's not just you get one shot each time. You know, you get, get some people who believe the very first time he preaches it. And then they're, they're going to be back again for another uh, 180 sermons or something. And, and, and uh, so you, you, uh, you certainly don't want to think that Paul was just um, beating uh, a drum with nothing but weak repetition over and over and over again. And you notice also in 1 Corinthians itself, the, the rest of the letter, Paul addresses such diverse things. You know, he talks about meat sacrificed to idols. He talks about a man who's living with his father's wife. He talks about the Lord's Supper. He talks about spiritual gifts. I talks about the resurrection and on and on and on, so many different things. And he, he heads that up really by saying, nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and so clearly what Paul is saying there is not that talking about Jesus dying on the cross is some kind of gospel reductionism where you've got lots of stuff in the Bible, but I'm going to ignore everything else in the Bible except Christ crucified. No, what he's saying is that Christ crucified is what everything is about. So if you're talking about meat sacrifice to idols, or you're talking about the resurrection or spiritual gifts or lawsuits among Christians or, or uh, immorality of a kind not even known among the Gentiles and so on and so forth, the answer to all of those is Christ crucified. And obviously you, you know very well, Evan, that if we want to summarize that in, in language that, that we Lutherans have come to appreciate, talking about Christ crucified is long gospel. It's talking about how we are all in need of the reconciliation with God that uh, Christ on the cross has won for us. And that's, that's because of our sin. Our sin separated us from God. It brought corruption to the world. It brought shortages into the world. It brought every kind of immorality in the world. And it brought every kind of, uh, of, of disastrous consequence into the world. And, you know, Franklin, like his father, uh, has been very effective in, in looking at the things going on around in society and identifying some of those problems. And it, and it resonates with people. You know, uh, people hear all kinds of things uh, besides just, are you going to hell or going to heaven, which, of course, is, is uh, above all crucial, but, but also the, the various manifestations of the effects of sin uh, all around us. Both, both uh, William and now Franklin uh, ha- have been very effective in, in talking about this kind of stuff. So then you've got to say, okay, 
ultimately, when you've put your hand on the pulse successfully and, and large crowds of people are hearing and saying, yeah, yeah, that's, that is the problem I'm, I'm experiencing. Yeah, I understand what he's talking about there. Then, then what is the answer? And, the, and, of course, all of that, all of that is describing what we Lutherans talk about as law. You know, whether it is you deserve hell and damnation or uh, the effects of your sin, Adam's sin, my sin, all sins, are causing all kinds of, all kinds of uh, disasters in our lives. Uh, either way, that's the law. And then, what's the answer? And the answer is always... Christ crucified, which is the gospel. And again, that's not at all simplistic. It's, it's not just boiling it down to uh, some kind of catchphrase, nor is it just saying, okay, yeah, the, the world is bad, and you're, you're suffering uh, through a divorce, or you've lost your job, or you're experiencing illness, or, or society is coming undone around you. All those things are happening. But just kind of ignore that, kind of dig in and hang on, because when you die, Jesus' death on the cross gives you eternal life in heaven. It's not just that, although that's absolutely there. It also is that because Jesus has taken away the sin that separated us, in fact, separated the whole world from God, now God is reconciled to us. So again, he is our dear, loving Father. And that is specifically because of what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the whole world, which means then he took away the sin that separated us and the whole world from God, which means then he reconciled us to God, which means that once again, God is always caring for us as a dear father cares for his dear children. So when we're suffering all of those effects of sin, which certainly will be with us uh, until we're in heaven, nevertheless, we can always be certain that God is looking out for us and caring for us. So if you're doing a good job of what, of what Franklin and, and Billy uh, have done uh, for, for, in Billy's case, many decades, and now Franklin more recently as well, uh, which is um, calling people to look and see what's going on around them in their lives, the things that are touching them, things that are experiencing them, them then be sure that we find the answer specifically where St. Paul says it will always be found in nothing. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so then, again, in, in the terms that we Lutherans use, that really is a matter of preaching law and gospel, which always is focused in the cross of Christ. Well, you'll have to let me know if that is, in fact, the case that he appears in one of your classrooms one day. Uh, let's... I will let you know. If it happens, it'll be noteworthy, and, I'll, I'll, and you'll be the first to know, Evan. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's check in with our preachers and their preparation. How is it going over there? Uh I'm doing really well. How long is the sermon supposed to be? 30 minutes? Uh, five minutes? <laughs> five. Five minutes, Got it. yeah. Okay, five-minute sermon. Yes, uh, we will do that then. Okay. <laughs> we need to take a break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back. And when we come back, we'll be hearing the sermon first from Pastor Lincoln Winter. We're going to hear how he artfully takes a 30-minute sermon down to five and uh, that is no easy task. And then after that, we'll take Pastor Wolfmuller out of the isolation booth, which is really the whole reason we do this show, is to put him into the isolation booth. And uh, then when we uh, uh, hear his sermon, we'll get a final judgment from Dr. Carl Fikensher. You're listening to Table Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. Go ahead. Your friends probably won't notice. This is Table Talk Radio. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, the moment you've all been waiting for, really the moment all of you have tuned in for is we're going to hear from our challenging preacher first, Pastor Lincoln Winter, who's pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. And uh, uh, Pastor Winter, whenever you're ready, a five-minute sermon, take it away. All righty. Thank you very much. 
In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. In the Gospel reading for today, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. It's not the only time Jesus heals on the Sabbath or, or does something on the Sabbath, and it's not the only time Jesus gets in trouble for it. He gets in trouble not only for healing on the Sabbath, his disciples at one point pick grain on the Sabbath. All of this was forbidden by the law. Not the law of Moses, uh, exactly, but by the traditions of men that had grown up around that, that identified specifically what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. As Jesus points out, you can untie your ox, you can give him water, uh, because, of course, it would be cruel not to. But helping other people, that you can't do. And Jesus identifies the hypocrisy that the people treat their animals better than they treat the people of God. And it says after Jesus healed this woman, the people rejoiced. Why are they rejoicing? Because they had been bound by the law. They were under the law. They were bound by the law. That's what the law must do. The law if we live by the law, it leads to legalism, a bunch of loopholes where you try to figure out ways to get done what you want without breaking the law. And so you violate the spirit of the law to keep the letter. And the worst of the legalisms is that self-righteousness where you try to measure up to the law while cutting others down around you and judging others. And so you raise the bar where others fall, but your own weaknesses, you lower the bar so that you can get across it. And so you end up just judging others. And it says here that Jesus loosed her from her, uh, from her malady, from that infirmity that she had where she was bent over and, and physically unable to stand. And the, the word there, loosed, it's one of the first words Greek stu students learn. The word is luo. It's, it's a really easy word, uh, but it, it means to be loosed from something. And it's the word that Scripture uses not for uh, just being loosed from this malady, but being loosed from sin. Uh, that's how Scripture speaks of sin, is that we are loosed from sin. And Luther uh, writes a beautiful hymn about this, uh, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, in which he says, Fast bound in Satan's chains I lay, death brooded darkly o'er me, that, that we were bound in the chains of Satan because of our sin, and that Christ has loosed us from that. And then verse 5, it says, God said to his beloved son, it's time to have compassion. And that's what Jesus has on this woman is compassion to heal her from her infirmity. And so the people are rejoicing at this wonderful news, because that's what Jesus is doing. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. People are being loosed from their infirmity. That woman is loosed from Satan's torment. Jesus says that that, that torment was from Satan, and not only from the physical malady that that woman suffers, but from Satan's oppression over sin. That's the real good news that Jesus preaches to us. That woman was oppressed physically, but we are spiritually oppressed by our sin. And Jesus frees us from that oppression. He forgives us our sin. And that's what he talks about with the mustard seed and the leaven, that we are, uh, that the that small mustard seed grows into a mighty tree. And we see that where that small seed of the word of God is planted and it grows and it becomes a mighty tree of faith and that we are forgiven our sins, made children of God, brought into his kingdom. And he also uses the, the parable of the leaven that that small, tiny amount of leaven works through the whole thing so that we, our whole lives, are changed by Jesus and the forgiveness that he brings. Jesus feeds us with himself as the bread of life, the good bread that does not spoil. 30 and seconds. Our lives then become living testaments to the salvation that Jesus gives us. He forgives, he redeems, he saves, he feeds, he carries us in his arms and brings us to everlasting life. That is the wonderful truth of the gospel which Jesus preaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.
Oh, well, that is fantastic. Let's bring Pastor Wolfmuller back in, take him out of uh, hey. isolation. Boy, you missed a good one. I, I, oh, man. Well, let's let's go to Dr. Fakincher. Now, in the first segment, you set up the standard as uh, from Paul, Paul's words uh, from Scripture um, that I concern to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How did Pastor Winter's sermon uh, hold up to that test? Well, certainly what he had in view was the loosing that comes from what Jesus did on the cross. I would have liked to hear the cross made explicit, though, uh, so that the hearers would make that connection. Uh, What happens when God sets us free from our sin or from any binding is not simply something that God does uh, apart from the reconciliation, the atonement of the cross, uh, as, as if God just says, well, we won't worry about it anymore. It's always because the cause of the binding, that is sin, has been atoned by what Jesus did on the cross. And so I always want to hear the cross made explicit, which I didn't pick up uh, in uh, that brief five-minute sermon. What did uh, the Pastor Winter's sermon have as its strength? Well, certainly, uh, you went very nicely for the first part of the narrative. It was a challenging text. We'll talk about this perhaps more later in our in our summary. Uh, a challenging text, as you have uh, arranged the cutting there, Evan, because you have a narrative followed by two brief parables, and the connection among those is not really very clear. The the, uh, the particular parables in other contexts fit into Jesus' listing of parables, as in Matthew chapter 13 or Mark 4. But uh, here, uh, as is often the case with Luke, it seems to be just sort of an, an add-on without the connection being all that close to the preceding narrative. So what, what uh, Pastor Winter did very nicely, I think, was to unpack the narrative, the woman who was healed on the Sabbath and loosed uh, from the chains, which the text says specifically were from Satan, and, and that point was very nicely made. Uh, that was handled, I think, very, very well. Um, then the connection to the following portions uh, seemed rather forced, as I think it requires a little, little more analysis uh, to find the connections in the text itself. In fact, this is actually a, a text where, despite my uh, encouragement to my students to preach the full text, I probably would have just worked with uh, verses 10 through 17 in this case, and probably not have addressed verses 18 through 21, the two parables. Listen, we're dealing with veteran iron preachers, and I'm throwing it all at them. You know, they, they, they need to show There you go. I mean, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. You, you've got a big challenge. Well, would you... Would you speak... I was expecting a passage from the Song of Solomon. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> I, uh, uh, could you speak to that point that you encourage your students to preach the whole text, um, not maybe find a singular verse within a text? Uh, why is that important? Right. Yeah. Well, Number one, most of the time we're working with a pericope, that is uh, an epistle or a gospel, Old Testament lesson, which is a cutting of Scripture in the lectionary system, the pericopal system, which has been very carefully cut to represent one complete thought block. There are exceptions to this. Sometimes, uh, quite conspicuously, it's more than one thought block. And sometimes even the movement of the text is a series of very small elements. But normally, the cuttings that are given to us in the pericopal system, in the lectionary, are intended to be one complete thought block. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired the words of Scripture, which, of course, are God's word from first to last, also, though, to be human communication. And the way human beings communicate is generally not with independent sentences or certainly not phrases uh, to be standalones. Normally, what we say is intended to have meaning specifically in the flow of that immediate context. And so uh, if we have an eight-verse pericope that is, in fact, one thought block, then really the point that the Holy Spirit is intending is the point of the eight verses, not really just a verse three or verse six. Uh, Not that those smaller points aren't true and valid, and this isn't to say that it couldn't be a valid sermon, but I think it really is looking at the text in a way that's different from the way the Holy Spirit inspired the text. If eight verses make up one complete thought block, and since the Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures also to be human communication, then I think we expect the eight verses to yield the point 
that really is the intended sense by the Holy Spirit. So that, that calls us to, to look at the complete text in most cases. In this case, with a reading which is not in the lectionary, uh, Pastor Gegline, you, you've, you've uh, made a cutting here, I think, uh, I think uh, an original cutting, unless I'm mistaken. Uh-huh. No, that's true. Uh, and uh, probably um, you uh, uh, kind of played with us, uh, giving us a little additional challenge that uh, really did extend the cutting beyond one thought block. And in that kind of case, I probably would uh, would just revert to looking for the one uh, major thought block. And it could be uh, those verses uh, 10 through 17, or it could have been verses 18 through 21, the two parables. It just happens that those are a little more prominent both in Mark and Matthew's gospel. So if I were preaching Sunday to Sunday, uh, week in, week out, I'd probably save these either for the Mark 4 cutting or the Matthew 13 occurrence in the lectionary. Well, now I'm wondering if I ruin my chances of being on the next lectionary committee. Now I'm I'm a little disappointed. Well, um, I, I think, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, outside-the-box thinking, probably, Evan, is, is, is worthwhile, too. Now, I, I think the, uh, the lectionary committee would have outvoted you and dropped it, but <laughs> nevertheless, your voice would have been heard. You're probably right. All right, well, <laughs> let's take a quick break, and we get back Pastor Wil- Pastor Wolfmuller's sermon uh, for the Iron Preacher, and uh, then we'll get a chance after that to talk with Pastor Winter some more. Stay tuned. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. When you just want to be alone. This is Table Talk Radio. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. That music is so pleasant coming in to hear Pastor Whatever happened to the... <laughs> Welcome to the. Oh yeah, you wanted the. Uh, remember that? Uh, well, the Iron it, it turns out our announcer is on strike for doing anything Iron Preacher related, so I'm not sure we're 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 negotiating with that. So, um, the, also the spotlight it's operator. It's the mood music. Yeah, the and the we're out of the 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 smoke, uh, the smoke the yeah the fog. Uh, so, so we're working on Where's my that. pipe. I just light up my <laughs> light up Lumpy's pipe. Oh, remember Lumpy? We haven't heard from him in a long time. Yeah, I mean that's not it's been the ages incense. Since we did any show prep. That's not the incense scripture is speaking of. The incense, right? <laughs> prayer raised before you is incense. It's not cigar smoke or anything like that. All right, so we've heard an excellent sermon already from Pastor Winter, but we need to see if Pastor Wolfmiller can uh, can compete with that. So, whenever you're ready, Pastor Wolfmiller. What are the odds? Do you have the you have the over under on this thing? <laughs> um, yeah, I I think uh, the book has this at a uh, you you got about a twelve percent chance of pulling this one off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and we'll update that, you know, one minute in, you know, eighteen percent chance. Oh, six percent chance. We'll Just see. A ticker, I'm a not, constant ticker. I'm not sure I'm willing to take ticker. that bet, but uh, all right, Pastor Wolf and Ray, you have five minutes. In the name of Jesus, Amen, dear saints. The gospel oh, yeah. of the kingdom is like a mustard seed that grows, like leaven that expands. That is the word of the Lord's kindness expands in our own conscience so that we might rest in the shade of his mercy and to do that we have the text this morning a text regarding two types of loosing the first is the obvious loosing it's the loosing of the woman bound up by the devil for 18 years with this physical infirmity she comes and stands before jesus in the synagogue and he has mercy he has compassion on her like he always does Even though Jesus didn't come to heal, he came to preach and he came to die. But whenever he sees someone who is hurting, he simply can't help himself. And he heals her with a word. Woman, you're loosed from your infirmity. He lays his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. She's set free by the compassion and the mercy and the love of Jesus. But Luke and the Holy Spirit are bringing this text to us so that we would rejoice in the second kind of loosing that Jesus wants to accomplish, and that is the loosing of the Pharisees and the loosing of us from the bondage of the law. Because you see, the Pharisees saw it in the synagogue, and they were indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And, and said to the crowd, there's six days which men ought to work, and, and, and therefore come and be healed on them, and not on this day, not on the Sabbath day. 
Now, you see then how the Pharisees had treated the Sabbath. They had added laws, extra laws, to make sure that the Sabbath day would be kept. They built, with all of their extra laws, a hedge around the Sabbath so that they could keep this third commandment to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And they, But they had done all of this so that they could establish a, re, a righteousness of their own. That's the chief thing for the Pharisees. They have a righteousness established by their own terms. Now, this gets really ugly with the Pharisees because they're able to make up laws and set their made-up laws against the true law of God. Jesus will point this out in other places. You give tithes of mint and cumin, and you neglect the weightier matters of the law, loving your neighbor, serving God. And so it here, so here it is as well, that the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus for this woman is offensive to them because of their own self-made legalisms, their own attempts to declare themselves righteous. And this, by this, the Holy Spirit points out our own fundamental problem, that every, all of us, each and every one of us, are busy with our lives making the argument of our own self-righteousness. That we are worthy of whatever, of life, of happiness, that we're worthy to stand before God on the day of judgment. We are in one way or another making the argument of our own worth. And so it is no accident that right in the middle of the law, the Lord has put a commandment for us to stop. It is no accident that the controversy that Jesus gets into over and over with the Pharisees, and especially in this text, is over the Sabbath, because in the middle of a ten-point to-do list, the Lord has told us not to work, but rather to rest. That's the commandment, to rest, to stop working. But the Pharisees had taken it and made it about work so that Jesus stands in the middle and says, you have misunderstood the law. You do not understand what I was trying to give you by this command. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our Sabbath rest so that to remember the Sabbath day is to cease all of our attempts to be righteous and holy before God and to recognize that that has been won for us already in the blood of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, the dying of Jesus, the hanging, uh, uh, being lifted up above the world for all people to see on the cross of Jesus. That is our Sabbath rest. He is our Sabbath rest. So to remember the Sabbath rest means to, to stop working and to trust in Christ. All of our attempts to argue our own righteousness come to an end because Christ is the the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. Christ himself, then, is our righteousness. He's the righteousness and the freedom and life and joy and peace for this woman bound up. He's the righteousness and joy and peace for the Pharisees who are there contradicting him. And Jesus is our righteousness, our joy and our peace and our rest and our Sabbath. And, uh, and he is our life and forgiveness that will endure forever. So that this text tells us not only of this woman, our sister, who's set free from the devil, it also tells us about Jesus who sets us free and gives us his own righteousness and makes us bold to stand today and praise God and bold to stand on the day of judgment and be welcomed into his eternal life. Amen. Amen. And right at uh, Amen. five minutes to wow. perfect timing. All right. So um, now we need to hear from uh, Dr. Verkincher. What are your critiques and um uh uh what uh accolades that's all the... you want is critique <laughs> you didn't even think of the right word for the <laughs> no 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 your critiques and your criticisms and your neutral word it includes both and we've got both we have both when, um, when evan uses it in that... the iron creature preacher context it is not neutral I'll let me... okay all right well uh, actually pasquale Mueller, mostly i have accolades so so there you go uh, I'll start with one critique initially yeah, let's start with in, that. in your sense, in the, the negative sense, because frankly, I thought it was a very, very fine job. Um, and that is that probably less was done with the physical healing of the woman than I usually like to see in a text that has a physical dimension. Uh, remember, well, you, you didn't hear it, but before you came on, uh, when you were sequestered, we were talking about how what Christ did on the cross reconciled the whole world to God, which means then that we have not only the, the eternal blessings, but also temporal, and not only spiritual, but also physical. And so when a text gives us a physical healing, um, I always like to be sure that we actually give that full treatment. It is no less a result of what Jesus did 
depicted on the cross than are the various spiritual blessings and even eternal life in heaven. Uh, The physical healings are also a result of being reconciled to God, the sin that separated us from God being removed by Jesus' death on the cross, and therefore God once again as our loving Father caring for us in our immediate needs. Now, to mitigate that in this particular text, we have that notation that this really is from Satan. And of course, uh, physical things are also from Satan in a sense, but when it's made explicit like that, uh, we, we really do see the battle uh, in the spiritual realm brought to the fore more prominently. So this, unlike most healing texts, does less in the text itself with the physical healing and really does more with the spiritual battle going on. And so that, that mitigates that, that shortcoming. I, I'd love to see a little bit more in terms of the, the physical addressed. Now, the things that were done extremely well, uh, I thought there was a very good, solid, clear focus in terms of theme from start to finish. Uh, When we saw uh, particularly the second kind of binding, the the Pharisees bound in the law, which was very well applied to us. We're all busy being our own righteousness. Um, We find ourselves bound and ultimately loosed by Christ being our righteousness. And this was made especially explicit when you talked uh, and made reference to the Hebrew passage where Jesus is our Sabbath rest. If, If the problem really is being bound in our own striving for righteousness, then rest is a very appropriate gospel correlate. And I think that was very, very well chosen. I like the way you went in the second binding, specifically to the Pharisees being bound in the law. Uh, you know, we, we, we see them uh, pro- uh, probably at, at a first glance of the text as, uh, as to the side, and, and we see what's going on with the woman being bound as the primary focus, which is not inappropriate. You address that first. But to see the Pharisees also being other ones actually bound made that more concrete than, than even simply going to say we're bound in our sin or something like that. Going to the Pharisees initially as being bound in the law was a very good entree. It got to their striving for self-righteousness by what they do, which really does not set us free. We don't achieve righteousness on our own. We really only bind ourselves more tightly. Then when you went to the application that we're all busy uh, being uh, righteous on our own, then we really had a need for rest. Then we really needed for Christ to set us free um, by giving us, by being for us the Sabbath rest. And that's an important concept, a corollary, a correlate relationship between uh, the law problem, specific law problem, and specific gospel solution. And if, if being bound, striving is the, is the problem, then rest, being set free from that striving, uh, would be the appro- appropriate correlate. That was very nicely done. All right, so the we're at that time. very explicit. Where yep, you the need cross to... was very explicit as the reason for that setting free. So I, I, I think that was a very, very strong sermon. So we're at that time where you need to uh, come down on a on a winner in this uh, Iron Preacher match. You have uh, Pastor uh, Lincoln Winter or Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Well, we've said it was a, a, a fine first sermon. We even said the odds were stacked against Pastor Wolfmuller. But I would say on the basis of a very nice, clear law gospel correlate and a, certainly a clear declaration of the cross, I'm going with uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller, Iron Preacher, as the winner this time. Oh, wow. upset. Oh. The underdog. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was not That's expected true. at all. We're going to have to—I'm going to—I don't know. I, I need to talk to Dr. Prakincha during the break. We'll see if he uh, considered all the it ramifications. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well— I, I think if we've reached the point where Pastor Wolfmuller is considered the underdog, we've accomplished something already. At least if, if, if he realizes he's the underdog. Yeah, that, and, and he has. He has. All right, we'll be right back. Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Table Talk Radio, where the voice crying in the wilderness is the listener. So I've kicked up the Wolfmuller One YouTube channel. And I was talking to Daniel, my expert YouTube advisor, about it, who said, Dad, your stuff is really bad. I know, Daniel, I know. But look, I have 4,006 
uh, for watch time and to monetize on YouTube, you got to have 4,000 hours. And I, I look, I said, look, 4,006. And Daniel says, Dad, you have 4,006 minutes, not hours. <laughs> anyway, if you want to see what we're up to over on YouTube, you can visit YouTube, search for Wolf Mueller. Wolf Mueller 1 is the channel name. See you there. Well, his Ooh, pride is, is hurt a little bit, but he's willing to stick around. Lincoln Winter, uh, talk about you've been you've been uh, working on this project, this uh, this book on evolution. I understand it came about because you were uh, sitting in was it your your kids' science classroom and heard a few things that you could disagree with. Is that how how it happened? Yeah, it, not only that I disagreed with, but my my daughter invited me to come to. Her science class. I, I did it in eighth grade, uh, kind of against her will. And then when she was a, a junior, uh, she invited me to come into her biology class as they studied uh, Darwin. And the the things the teacher was saying, you, you could almost just see the, the light going out of the eyes of the kids. I mean, not that they were tuning out, but that, that he was just robbing them of any sort of, of hope or meaning in life. Uh, it was it, it was shockingly bad and and watching the kids uh just get more and more hopeless as as to even what their their lives were about uh it just it made me angry what specifically uh, very, did you hear so, that, that, that this is yeah go ahead that? What, what 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 specifically did you hear that the teacher was saying that maybe a lot of the students were just kind of taking as gospel truth well, the it, I live in a small ranching community, and so he was using one of the kids who, who has a ranch as an example and talking about how uh, they they breed for certain characteristics in their cattle and talking about how natural selection does that uh, and, and gives us different characteristics, uh, genetically speaking, as, as people, and how this is just totally random and totally meaningless without any end or goal. Well, how much better would it have been to say, you, you and your family, as you look for certain traits in the cattle, are fulfilling your vocation, fulfilling the command God gave all the way back in the Garden of Eden that humanity is to rule over the world, uh, that we are to be good stewards of creation, and that you are fulfilling that. Your family is fulfilling that, as, even as you breed cattle. Uh, that that is, in, when done in faith, uh, a good work of God. And instead, he was saying, there's just no point to the, any of this at all. It's all random, and you guys are breeding for for certain characteristics. But, you know, you could not do that, and uh, natural selection would probably do the same thing. How appalling. First of all, it's scientifically nonsense, uh, because that's not how, how natural selection works, not how genetics work. Uh, genetics is always a reversion to the mean, but the just the the way he was taking away from them any sort of meaning in their daily work, a work that this kid's going to do for the next forty years, and and his teacher saying, well, that's just all meaningless. Hmm. And they can now. You said you could see it in the kids' eyes. That's an interesting thing to me. In in other words, we we talked oftentimes in the church about the you know the dangers of these things. Um, uh, the implications, even if evolution is true, it's immoral to believe it and so forth. Of course, it's not true uh, and, and all this sort of stuff. But mm. you, you could right. see that the poison spreading. That's the, I, I'm interested in that. Oh, my gosh. It was it was it was almost as if there was an oppressive spirit. You know, you you, you remember that old, the old movie, The Ten Commandments? Where the spirit or the the angel of death comes and they they visualize him as a, a as this kind of green creeping cloud along the ground, and it was almost mm -hmm. like that 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 the words this guy was saying were were just this that they were just sucking all of the the meaning all of the spirit out of them. I don't to use a more modern analogy like the Harry Potter Dementors. It really was there was a hopelessness in in the classroom. And I, I, you can see this in 
uh, at least in our local public schools, and I'm not, I don't want to single them out. I, I think this is throughout any public school uh, that that they just they steal any sort of meaning or hope for life from the kids, uh, and and the, try and turn them into just kind of mindless automatons repeating the party line on on evolution. Should we be all that and surprised it, then when we find? Um... You know, people lament how selfish people are today that we don't care about our fellow man. Or in its worst case scenarios, you have even things like the the mass shootings and it's just senseless violence against innocent people. Um, I mean, there seems to be a corollary between what we're being taught, that things are meaningless, and then we wonder why these horrific things happen. Right, and the that, the, the whole... Uh, the, we keep talking about how they're over-prescribing antidepressants. Well, it's a little wonder that people are depressed because they're being told that their lives have no meaning. And the people, for the most part, they're not believing it. Uh, only about 20% of people believe, after three generations of being given total carte blanche to teach anything they want about how, we, about how life is totally random, only 20% of people are believing that or 26% of people are believing that. The rest of the people don't buy it. They're, they're not having it. They, they don't believe that life began and progressed solely as a result of random chance, because it's not wow. believable. Uh, but but I, t- I kind of joke, I say, you know, we, and it's not, it, it'd be funny if it weren't so tragic. We tell people they're de- descended from monkeys and then are shocked when they behave like it. But, but that's the truth. Uh, we're, we're telling our kids that that life has no meaning and then we're we're absolutely flummoxed as to why it is they behave like life has no meaning and no higher purpose well we've been telling you this did you now you're gonna like this Lincoln because I have I've been thinking I've got a new gun law legislation because you know everyone every time there's a mass shooting or something like this and everyone wants to destroy mm-hmm. the 10th the second amendment and all this sort of thing so i but i've got a new law that i think would be very helpful and that is that it's 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 true that you do not give uh, lethal weapons to animals so i think our gun laws should be if people believe in evolution they should not be allowed to own firearms <laughs> that's not a bad idea but <laughs> I yeah. thought he would like that. I, Can you imagine? Here, sensible gun legislation. Now, this is what it looks like in Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. Even in Wyoming, people wouldn't go. We don't like anybody not having guns here. Um, yeah. Even I, the I, you know, that's a, when you're born in Wyoming, <laughs> uh, which isn't a bad thing. I. Uh, but, I know. Yeah, I know. It's not. A, I'm, I mean, I'm being a little bit well, a lot facetious, I suppose. Right. But this is the point: is that, that that when you think about it, I mean, we're sitting here training the kids that they're just that they're animals. I was I was talking to a guy this last weekend, and he he said he went into the prison to preach, and the thing that they had to preach in the prison is this: you are not animals. And the people said, "We're we're not." They'd never heard that before. Oh this is gosh. amazing how we've simply diminished our humanity to such a profound degree. It's embarrassing, really. That's, well, shocking, but not all that shocking. Because that's, yeah, that's that's what we are teaching, is that we are nothing more than animals. And that's, that's, that's appalling. It's an abomination. It, it is. It, we're, we're stealing humanity from people, and there, there are all, all sorts of groups that are saying things about how, you know, well, we're just another animals, and and we need the thing that kills me. This is it. Just it's such a it's such a irony. Is they say we need to uh, we need to protect all of these animals, right? Humanity is is just one animal among others, and and there's even groups who are trying to work for the dis- extinction the extinction of humanity, but. At the same time, they teach survival of the fittest, and that if you're not fit, you don't make it as a species. Well, then why do we have the Endangered Species Act? Those are the not fit species. We should just get rid of them. Now, how do do you respond to— It's a really ironic thing about that. (laughs) Yeah. How how do you respond to this argument that comes up so much? Is that, okay, look, you know, when we're in school, we're kind of concerned about science— and the ideas about creation—that's that's more of a religious argument, and we you know can't teach religion in the classroom. So, how would you respond to that argument? 
Well, evolution is religion, and that's the main thesis of my book, is that, uh, that evolution is not science. It relies on two fundamentally unprovable assumptions. Uh, one is that there is no God, and that's a theological assumption, not a scientific one. Uh, it's, it's a perversion of the scientific method. Uh, the other is that randomness can appear ordered. And that has to be true for evolution to be true. And that's a philosophical assumption. It can't be proven. And, be, and more than that, it goes against all observ- observable evidence. You were talking earlier about the, the laws of thermodynamics. Um, and along with those laws, uh, we also have the, the law of uh, enthalpy and entropy, that, that things become more diffuse. Order is actually working against that. It, it puts information into... Uh, into a specific order rather than just diffusing it. Uh, And so uh, no one would say that a computer arises randomly or that a cassette tape arises randomly or that the information on a cassette tape arises randomly, Uh, that that that, that it can only be there because someone put it there. And and, uh, what we've discovered since in the century and a half since Darwin's theories came out is that the basis of life is information. Very highly coded information, uh, information that is is vast. The simplest DNA from a jumping plant louse is an, is more than the information in a book of the Bible. The the simplest a DNA is, is actually on a jumping plant jumping plant louse. Yeah, it's. I have no idea what that is. Um, I'm. But is the louse plural uh, for yeah, lice? Yeah, lices. You mean jumping uh, plant lices? Yeah, I'm just apparently I do. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it's 150,000 bits of information. Hmm. Uh, the, the human genome is 3.2 gigabytes of information. That's a tremendous amount of information. Uh, that, that, that doesn't arise randomly. That's like the Bible, the works of Shakespeare, and then more information on top of it. And they're saying that arose randomly. Hmm. It, it just can't. Lincoln, we gotta we gotta wrap up, but how can people get their hands on your book on evolution? Ooh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, it's called Evolution: A Defense <laughs> Against, and it's available for Kindle on Amazon or also in uh, actual paperback at Lulu.com. Uh, and I think Lulu is is the publisher of choice for Pastor Wolfmuller's many uh, publishing ventures it, as well, isn't it? it? It is indeed. Good stuff. Well, yes. Pastor uh, Lincoln Winner is pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. Pastor Winner, thank you so much for coming on Table Talk Radio today. Hey, thank you very much. And, and I'm just going to revise the history. In my mind, I'm pretty sure I won today. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going to say I'm the two-time winner of, of Table Talk you know, Radio. And, that, and that's what I remember, uh, too. So uh, we'll go with I that. I thought I yeah. won the first time. So <laughs> All right, that's know. it. Thanks for oh, listening to this go. edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the joy you get from studying evolution. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.